All right, well, before we jump into hope, I want to ground ourselves together in um, the meaning of Advent and kind of going back to those verses that I read in the opening. <clears throat> Advent means coming. It's the celebration of this very real historical period of time where um, the world was waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And we have, there were 400 years, four centuries between the last written words we have in the Old Testament and the first that we have in the New Testament. And so that is 400 years of waiting, anticipating, of aching and groaning, of longing. People were born and died hearing and telling these stories, believing this text and wondering who this Messiah would be, who would live up <clears throat> to all this description of king and prince. How can you be a king and a prince at the same time? It doesn't make any sense of um, like a branch grown from a stump, righteous, born of the flesh, born of a virgin. So during Advent, we're celebrating kind of the breaking of this silence, this promise is coming, just as we were told that he would. Um, and the silence is broken with a visit from an angel to a girl in her room. Um, and she starts her own kind of personal Advent season as she waits for this baby. So. <clears throat> Again, I didn't have a voice this morning, so please bear with my coughs. Um, so what is hope in the context of Advent? Is it um, a noun, something you can hold? Here's my hope. Could you watch my hope while I go over here? <laughs> is it um, a person? Brian, meet Hope. Hope, Austin. You guys have heard so much about each other. Is it a verb? I really hope I can get a parking spot today. Is it a feeling? I'm so hopeful about this next season of my life. Is it like a vibe or a spirit? You like walk into a room and you're like, oh, there's hope in here. Like, I feel it. The truth is, it's kind of all of these, and it's none of them. <clears throat> this word hope has been really troubling to me. It's felt like it's kind of haunted me for the last couple of weeks because... I, I don't really know what it is. I haven't really known what it is. And this sentence has kept repeating itself as I tried to figure out what that was. And that's like, I can't nail it down. I just can't nail it down. What is hope? I can't nail it down. And I find that so interesting because hope was actually nailed down. And even the nails couldn't nail him down. Jesus was nailed and as he was dying, there was still hope because there's always more with God. It might just be me, but when I'm in a tough spot telling myself to have hope in Jesus, sometimes it doesn't really hit home. And I think I've realized that the reason for that is because I don't have a deeper understanding of what hope is. And so the words, they're not going to penetrate my heart the way they're supposed to. There has to be more to hope than just a positive outlook on life. And as I poured over scripture and even like revisited stories from this room, moments where we've had hope where it didn't make sense, moments where we've been in hard situations and still we have something to look forward to, <clears throat> I kind of found three um, themes that kept coming up. And so we're just going to talk about those three things. And we're kind of going to be in Luke 1 and 2 all over the place so you guys can follow along if 
you want to. I also want to say that I could have picked a dozen other words. The point about hope is that there's not one word that you can use to describe it because it describes itself and it also doesn't. Um, so I just picked three because I get to do this talk today and I get to pick. Um, so these three things that encompass hope are one, a simultaneous presence and expectation. Two, knowledge. And three is longing. So we're going to start with presence and expectation. Yes, both at the same time. Hope breaks through our present circumstances, whether they're good or bad. Hope for now, hope for this moment, hope for today, and hope for what's coming. We see this in our breaths, in sunrise, in our heartbeats, in pregnancy. We see this every year, every season. You're fully here, and there's more ahead. <clears throat> so we're going to start with Mary's visit from Angel Gabriel, and remember that this is the moment that broke that silence. And we're going to start with those first words. This is Luke 1, um, 29, I believe. <clears throat> it says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. For this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Everything about this news is unseen but known. Full of hope, full of expectation. This confident expectation that she has just received this news. I think early pregnancy is a perfect example of this feeling of anticipation because everything changes and nothing changes, right? Like you can be halfway through a sandwich and go to the bathroom, take a pregnancy test, find out you're pregnant, and then go back to that sandwich and it's just a different sandwich. You're like, this is, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. You don't look pregnant, you don't feel pregnant, but you know, right? It's a, it's a knowledge you can't unknow. And it's a feeling you can't unfeel. And even though everything you think of and see um, might contain some fear, it's also full of expectation. You're fully present, present in this miracle, this reality that a miracle is happening, but you're also fully expectant of what's coming. And Mary finds herself at the intersection of a promise fulfilled and a promise being made. This moment encompasses everything we need to know about hope, Something's coming, the world is changing, and it's not just for her, it's for everyone. C.S. Lewis says this about hope. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
Hope makes us feel alive today. This belief that God has us and that he has more coming for us. To me, hope feels like um, taking a deep breath, like when you stop to breathe. You're fully present right here in the moment, but you're also like ready to take on whatever is coming your way. This, um, or we've all experienced this miracle that happens in your day when you choose to take moments of stopping and breathing, right? When your kid's throwing a tantrum, you have a choice. Maybe it's just my kid that throws these tantrums. <clears throat> you can choose to stop and take a breath, right? Um, or not. But what happens in that moment is that that breath doesn't just benefit you. It benefits everyone around you. And if hope is like taking a breath, then God is the oxygen. We're filled, and because you know this tantrum is not going to last forever, it's not even going to last the next hour. So I can be better in this moment because I know that this is temporary. This piece of hope matters as we think of how God uses us to impact the world. It requires us to think of how God sees the world. How does God see people? How does he see, or who does he see us becoming? Future tense. And that changes everything about who we are today in our present lives. The second part of hope is knowledge. I think that I probably could have interchanged this with trust, but I feel like trust... It requires a little bit more than knowledge does. And so I wanted to kind of focus on knowledge. Seeing something and knowing something are different. We know that we don't have to see something to have hope. Lauren just read that from Romans. But how can we have hope in what we don't know? It's important for us to know who God is, to know what he's done and to know what he's doing. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> There's a story um, after the birth of Jesus where Mary and Joseph go to present Jesus um, to the Lord in the temple. <clears throat> they go to the temple and offer a sacrifice and take him. Uh, Jesus was probably 40 days old at this point. And they come across a man named Simeon. Simeon was considered a righteous, devout man. And it says he was waiting on the consolation of Israel, which means basically that his people had suffered a lot and they were really desperate for a comforter. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it goes on to say this. And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up his arms, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I love this story. Something about this has hit me more than, than the story of Angel Gabriel going to Mary. Because I think maybe because they get to anticipate that it's going to be a baby. But this man, Simeon, he comes to the temple ready to see this Messiah that's been spoken of. 
of all of history. He comes to the temple. We have no indication that he knows this is going to be a baby. All he knows is, I'm going here. I'm going to see Christ before I die. And what does God do? Not only are you going to see Christ, you're going to take Christ up in your arms and cradle him. And you're going to praise God in the process. When I say that knowledge is a part of hope, what I'm saying is that there are things we know, things we can trust. We can follow those stakes in the ground in our life. We can follow those stakes in the ground in Scripture with full expectation and know that God's going to use that knowledge and he's going to surpass it. It doesn't mean that we understand. It means that we know. What do we know? We're not promised proof, but this knowledge is given to us in different forms and it can produce the next bit of hope. I know he was with me in my pain that night. I know he allowed me to talk to her one more time before she passed. I know that I know that I know, and so I was able to keep going. I know he was there for me then, and so I know he'll be there for me today and every day. I also want to make a note of Mary and Joseph here. Their knowledge of scripture, their practice of Jewish tradition, these are the stakes in their ground, the angel visiting them, the birth of their son, they both witnessed this. Just as God said that it was going to happen, it happened. The shepherds coming to see them. The wise men and God's protection over this baby when he could have been killed. And this moment, still after all of these things they know, they get this moment and they marvel. I wrote <clears throat> in my hope reflection about an experience I had a couple weeks ago. For those who missed it, I had a bad night. I spiraled physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was in um, oh, just a really dark place, having probably the darkest thoughts I've ever had. And I sat up in bed and I was just gasping and drowning. And I woke Brian up and I just said, we need, I need you to pray. I didn't even say we. I said, I need you to pray. It feels like Satan is sitting at the end of the bed just delighting in this pain that I'm in. And so Brian did. He sat up, and the first thing he said was that he told Satan to flee. And then he prayed that we would believe in the promises of God, and immediately God's presence filled the room. And then the next day I read that verse in Romans, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. The thing that was most impossible for me to grasp in that moment was this idea of tomorrow. Hope and tomorrow felt kind of similar. It was like elusive and never able to be grabbed. But the second that Brian said the word promises, my knowledge of who God was and the promises that he had given me gave me hope. And I thought, and this was like the light bulb moment, the sun is going to rise in the morning. It's really dark right now. I don't, I forgot even that there was a tomorrow, but the sun is going to rise. I know who made me. I know who loves me. I know what he said. I know what he's done in my life. And I couldn't see it in the moment, but I knew that I could trust. 
I see the promised sunrise now as a representation of our life on earth. There will be, this is what's promised, a last sunrise and where only glory follows. And every day we get a physical, visual representation of that last sunrise because every day it happens. Renewed hope. You can have knowledge and believe and still marvel when your knowledge points to the fact that God told the truth and that he's telling the truth. We can approach God with his own stories, literally like can take the Bible to him and say, you did this and so I believe you'll do it again. And then the last piece of hope we are going to talk about is longing. The word hope feels elusive and familiar because we all experience this longing. There's no need for hope without longing. And longing is something we experience every moment of every day. Lucia wakes up in the morning <clears throat> and her new thing is the first thing that comes out of her mouth is Papa Cuddle. Papa Cuddle. Of course he's a sucker. He gets up every time. That's what she longs for. The second her eyes open, that's what she longs for, is the arms of her papa. I long for coffee and energy um, and ease in the day, right? Some of us long for baby kicks. Some of us long for, um, well, you know those seasons where the first thing you think when you wake up is, I can't wait to get back in bed tonight. <laughs> Sometimes that's what we're longing for. Our house to be paid off for a raise, for warmer weather, for colder weather. Sometimes that is one day apart. <laughs> we're all waiting and longing for something, and I think that we're supposed to. There's something about this cycle. It's all over scripture, and it's all over even the way that we're marketed to, tapping into this longing, because everybody knows that everybody has it. We're meant to long. We just direct it to places sometimes that are dead ends places that will not ever satisfy us. Longing keeps us going and searching, but longing is not hope. Hope is the bridge between longing and belonging. Meaning when you are longing for something and you walk across this hope bridge and the result is not a deeper understanding of whose you are, then it, it wasn't hope. Because if hope is the bridge between longing and belonging, everything else will dissolve the second you touch it. Someone designed us this way. We're meant to long. We're meant to wait. We're meant to expect. This wasn't a surprise birthday party, the birth of Jesus. It was a chosen day where every moment of longing, every moment of waiting, every moment of asking and looking around, listening for, is he here yet? Led us to Jesus. Jesus has always been hope, and he was always meant to be the answer to our longing. <clears throat> There's also an elephant in the room when I talk about hope. It's these questions. Will I get let down? Will I get hurt again? And the answer is maybe. If you're asking only about the outcomes of today's circumstances, maybe. But remember, those outcomes disintegrate in our hands. We've been given a gift, and that gift is that we get to stop settling for hopeful. And we get to start accepting that Jesus is the only thing 
worth getting our hopes up for. You can get your hopes up for him. Get your hopes up for Jesus. Get your hopes up. The prize is worth the process. Many of us experience this in our own stories when we learned about Jesus or started coming into our faith, this longing, 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 leading to dissatisfaction, leading to hopelessness, leading to Jesus. Sometimes the process is painful and it's agonizing. And I want you to remember this. Sometimes hopelessness is the peak of longing. And the promise of Jesus is always what follows that peak. He delivers us from everything else that we chase, every time. I found myself wondering, um, wait, do I have hope? For like preparing this, but like, do I have it? And if you're with me, if you're asking that question, I want you to walk away today, if with anything, with this, you do. You have it. You have hope. Because Jesus is hope. You might not feel it, but you do have it. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He's the only prize that's guaranteed. And if you find yourself longing for something, but you're not knowing where to direct that longing, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, you also have people. You have the people in this room. I'm not saying put your hope in people. Please don't. I don't know many things, but I do know that he gives us people, right? I know that he gave Mary people. I don't know that she wavered in her hope, but I know that for some reason, that angel decided to also include, oh yeah, Elizabeth's pregnant too. And her story sounds just as crazy. And it was also impossible, and it's also a miracle, and you know her, and this child is going to be a big part of your son's life. A person she could look to. Part of the power of living as a we, us together in this room, is that we get to hold hope for each other. Some of, there are days where I feel weary, and I need you to hold hope for me. I need you to tell Satan to flee, Brian. Times where I need you to say, Aisha, scripture is the living word of God. Open it and be fed. I need a hug sometimes. I need you to hold hope for me. And then there are days like today that I hoped for and I wasn't sure it was coming (laughs) where hope in Jesus feels so tangible that I feel like I should take my shoes off because it's holy ground, where I feel like I could just fall to my knees right now. So I want you to think about something um, while I am praying over you guys. I want you to remember that you belong to a God of hope. You belong to him. Let's pray. God, we're celebrating Advent to remember what you've done. But we're also in a new Advent season as we wait and long and expect to see you in our daily midst. 
and then forever. Will you meet us in our longing, find us in our despair, and feed us with your word? We ask this in your name.